she recognized that this art thing wasn't a thing. It was, it's who I am. And um, she supported that on a variety of levels. And she just said, just promise me, whatever you do, you'll be the best. This is Adrian Jones coming to you live from New York, and you're listening to Artistry. Welcome to another episode of Artistry, where art meets industry. We are your hosts, Rochelle Etienne Robinson and Stan Substantial Robinson. All right, welcome to another episode of Artistry. Today's guest is a professor from Pratt Institute. She is a curator, founder, and chief creative officer of Black Dress, and of course, honorary auntie, Miss Adrian Jones. Welcome to the show, Adrian. Peace, Adrian. Hey, thank you for inviting me. Absolutely, absolutely. So, born and bred, New Rochelle, New York. Yes. How yes. was life growing up in New Rochelle? Um, my parents are very interesting people. So, yes, I grew up in the suburbs, New Rochelle. Um, at that time, it was mostly white and Italian um, and black. And um, I did not recognize how protective my parents were of me. Uh, when it came to racism until I grew up. So I did not grow up knowing that uh, people did not like you or could not respect you just based on the color of your skin. So hearing that later on growing up just sounded crazy to me. It's like, what is that? That doesn't make any sense. And I grew up in a household where my parents had friends from everywhere around the world. And so we never had, you know, it was never said like, oh, this is this is my white friend, this is my German friend, this is my black friend. They were just friends. Right. Um, and even at a time growing up, you know, um, my parents were very close to um, interracial couples. We didn't have a name for it then. It was just, you know. That's how it was. That's who, that's who they married. And th- these people were family. So um, it was very interesting to find out years later the history behind New Rochelle and going to school there because New Rochelle was actually the first city in the Northeast that uh, was forced into busing. Uh, due to segregation, it had become the law, and we were the first test city. Mm-hmm. And so prior to me starting school, there were two schools. Uh, one was Lincoln School, which was about two blocks away from where I lived, um, going south, and then maybe three blocks north, there was another school. And I was very sickly as a child, and but by the time it was time for me to go to elementary school. They had shut down Lincoln School and we were bust. And my mother fought really hard to get me to be able to go to school near home. So if I had, if I had an asthma attack, she would be able to get to me. And because this was now law, federal law, um, 
she could not do that. But my mother stayed vigilant. And I remember, I remember her taking me to school and putting my hand into the hand of my first teacher. And she said to her, Adrian is left-handed and I expect her to come home the same way. Wow. Um, and not knowing that that just wasn't about me being left-handed. That was mm-hmm. about me being one of maybe three black children in the whole class. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm sending her to you as, you know, she knows who she is. She needs to be able to come home the same way. Right. And Accept her as, as she is basically. As she is, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I have to say that going to a school where I think all of my teachers, elementary school, all of my teachers are white. Mm-hmm. And um, I got to tell you, I, I, was, I think I was treated more than fairly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that had a lot to do with my mother's presence. And, but again, being a sickly child, I missed a lot of school and my teachers not only came to our house, to our neighborhood and brought me the work that I missed, but they actually came in and sat with me to make sure I understood everything that they had sent home to me. So for me, it was uneventful. I didn't know about all the politics that would, that was going on um, as far as me going to school. Mm. And then and he, coming into school the first day and this, this little girl walks up to me and she says, you want to be my best friend? And I was like, sure. And her name was Frances Figari, very much Italian. And um, when I got to middle school and it was time to choose a language, I chose Italian because her Nona did not speak English Mm. and I needed to know how to communicate with her. Hmm. Wow. You know, um, you bring up such a great, um, interesting uh, time in history in that so much so uh, you were featured in a documentary that I believe came out called Leveling Lincoln. Um, yeah, by, it's not it's not out yet. Yeah. OK. Um, by director Arden Lewis. Can you tell us about uh, the significance of, you know, it j- being uneventful? Because for a lot of folks, when we hear about this time of desegregation and busing, you know, you hear sto- horror stories. And so. Um, and it was very eventful. Right. <laughs> right. I so can what- I can only. Um, give much applause and respect to my parents. My, my parents were older than um, my friend's parents, somewhere between 10 and 20 years older. So they had experienced and witnessed <clears throat> another part of American history that was even more horrific. And my dad, both my parents came out of the South And um, my dad was in, he served in World War II. And when he came back, he never went back to the South. Um, He stayed and 
he even, there was land left to him by um, his mom. And he and his sister decided together that they were never going back there to live. They always went back to visit, but never going back to live. And they sold it. Wow. So I think their level of protection, protecting me from any form of racism was also based on the hope that by the time I became an adult, I wouldn't have to deal with that. Right. Um, so just, I, I think just the fact that they were open to um, raising me different. And I know every parent's, well, most parents, their dream is to give their children a better life mm-hmm. than what they had. And I can definitely tell you that my parents did that. My mother had a high school education. My father, who I will fight anybody to tell you that he's the most brilliant man I've ever known. And he only had a third grade education. Wow. But he was smart in the way that he was able to maneuver himself through Jim Crow, through the civil rights movement and still be here. My father was no joke. You know, he had, I I know I have his temperament. I can go from zero to 5,000 in 3.2 seconds. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember asking him one time, you know, knowing this about him, how... How did you not end up on the lynching end of a rope? Mm -hmm. And he said, because my mother prayed for me. And then he said, because I got the hell out of the South, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And he wasn't, he, he never showed, neither one of my parents ever showed a bitter side of what they went through. These were the stories that they told us. So we, we were well aware of our history. Whereas his sister, um, when I tried to talk to and interview her about it, she just looked at me and she said, leave the past in the past. Mm. And it was the way she said it that you knew she was not going to talk to you about it. Wow. So that's, that's the only thing I can say with during that time period with everybody going through you know, the, the terror, because that's what it was, that my parents put a covering over me that sustained me throughout till I, till I went off to college. Mm-hmm. So as you move through your education, um, you, were, you had an interest in painting and photography and fashion. What was the first introduction into the arts for you? Well, if you talk to my mother, she'll tell you I more than likely painted my way out of the womb. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't recall not uh, creating. I remember mm. going back to elementary school. I was the one who did the backdrops for all the plays. Wow. So whatever you whatever you showed me, I could I could paint it. I could draw it, um, and. My mother saved, uh, I was in the fifth grade and they had an art exhibit. And um, I can't tell you where this, where this idea came from, but I painted this black man 
with a big afro mm-hmm. and he had on a orange and green striped shirt. Yes, I've always been into bright and bold colors. <laughs> um, and uh, and I won first prize, mm. you know. So that's always something that I've done. I, I am my parents' different child mm-hmm. and they they embraced it and allowed me to embrace it. So, and in doing that, the finger wasn't pointed at me just being black. Mm-hmm. Um, it was pointed at, it was pointed at, you know, my education. It was pointed at, this is what you're interested in. So we'll support that. Um, and even with me being sickly as a child, I don't, you know, most people who know me don't know how bad I suffered with it. Mm. And it wasn't a big deal. I'm telling you about it now because I have to fit it in somewhere in the story, but it wasn't a big deal. They didn't make it a big deal. So I didn't make it a big deal. And I think it was the same about racism. Um, they didn't make it a big deal in my life. And constantly uh, told me I could grow up to be whatever I wanted to be. Um, My mom was hoping for a doctor. That kind of fell through when she found out that I couldn't stand to see the skin pierced. Like to this day, I would would keel right over. Blood, blood doesn't bother me. But I can't watch a movie where somebody's taking a needle. Mm -mm, mm -mm. And then she just... um, she recognized that this art thing wasn't a thing. It was, it's who I am. And um, she supported that on a variety of levels. And she just said, just promise me, whatever you do, you'll be the best. Mm. I, I think you just inspired a quote. Uh, I don't know if it's already, if it already exists. So I'm gonna do some research after, okay. but if it doesn't, uh, when you said art isn't a thing, I thought you were going to say art isn't a thing. It's everything. And I was just like, man, mm-hmm. if he finishes like that, <laughs> boy, so I'm gonna go ahead and give you the assist real quick. Okay. And we're okay. going to make that okay. into a shirt. You know what I mean? We're like, we're claiming that right now. We'll go we're ahead and work out the percentage. Right now. So let me say it again. Right. Art isn't a thing. It's everything. It is everything. Bars. There we go. I, I just had to get that in in bars. <laughs> and so after upon graduating high school, you went on to FIT, for those that do not know, Fashion Institute of Technology. And this is during a time where the city, I mean, the, the country was very lively. You're talking about the late 70s, early 80s. What was that experience like? Um, interesting thing was I had a lot of different interests. And by the time I got to high school um, and not not tooting my own horn, I'm just telling you as it is, I'm I'm really smart. <laughs> I'm, I'm one of those kids. Claim it. And so, you know, those that standardized testing mm-hmm. and I scored always scored very high. Testing has never been a big deal for me. And so when I got to high school, um, in fact, before I got to high school, all of the art classes that I just loved and enjoyed, um, they kind of steered me out of those because I was, I was this enigma. I'm this black child, this sickly black child who excels in school. 
And so they put me in a lot of what they call now AP courses, college prep courses. Mm -hmm. So by the time I got to high school, I really did not have any, any art. And uh, one thing I know for sure is your gift is there inside of you and it will wait for you. Mm. And when it comes back, it comes back larger than life because it's just sitting Mm. there marinating and waiting for you. And that's and that's what happened. So I had, you know, my English teacher, she wanted me to go to Brown University to be an English major. So I applied. I applied to Brown University. Um, uh, Another I was very, very interested in psychology. I it, it kind of tickled my fancy to figure out, well, how does the mind work and what happens when it stops working? So I was going to apply to a few different schools for psychology. And I had so many different interests. My um, guidance counselor said to me, she says, well, Adrian, what do you love to do? And my mother had she was the only way I could describe this woman is as a character. And I have to laugh at that because I'm sure many people describe me the same way right now. Um, she had an artillery in Harlem and my mother was her muse and she made some of the most stunning clothes ever. And um, she was originally from New Orleans a very, very dark Creole. So her English was always interjected with French. Mm-hmm. And she's she's one of the people who had like a huge influence on me. And she died, she died tragically. Um, I didn't find out till years later that um, she had a issue with heroin and she committed suicide. Wow. Um, but she left me one of her sewing machines. I didn't know squat about sewing and I also love to tinker. So I put a sheet out on the floor and took the entire sewing machine apart and put it back together. And that's essentially how I learned to sew. So my last two years in high school, I'm making all these clothes that nobody else is wearing Um, and just having fun, you know, And um, so my guidance counselor at the time, she says, well, Adrian, what do you love to do? And I said, sew and dance. And and you could always find me at somebody's party, standing on top of a chair or a table, um, (laughs) dancing. Uh, (laughs) I may may come back to that later. Um, I always wondered if I had said dance first. Mm-hmm. If that's what she would have, she would have chosen for me. And when I said wow. so, she said, "That's it. You're going to FIT." I didn't know what FIT was. I thought she was sending me to a school for physical education. Mm. <laughs> I, I, when I say in the dark, I was completely <laughs> in the dark. And um, so off I went. I had I had made this gown for my mother, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, they were only accepting 25 students per major. Mm-hmm. And I went in and I got in. Um, some very wonderful people in my life. I've always had, I've always had a Jewish parent or two or four. And at the mm-hmm. time, uh, my Jewish family was the Blumbergs. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, Mr. Blumberg owned a business in the fashion district. And uh, he called some people and I got a full scholarship. Oh, wow. wow. And wow. So, so I, you know, if we bring it forward, there's a little conflict, you know, because I've had some amazing people in my life who just happen to be white. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's how I ended up at FIT. social issues, um, these issues that affect our community, um, how does it inform your art? And then, like, and then, of course, we know that you're also um, a professor at Pratt Institute. Um, like, so how does it inform your art? Um, and how does it inform um, the art of teaching? You know, like, how does, uh, you know, because I know you teach something very specific, but still, like, how do you keep these things in mind while you create and educate? Um, so what has brought us to the space and time that we're in right now has happened, you know, countless times. Um, you know, we had President Cuomo, um, (laughs) (laughs) right. He gave Uh, a fantastic speech actually right around the corner from me at Iona college. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he took it back to Rodney King and um, it just, it just keeps spinning and it keeps spinning and it keeps happening. Um, and again, these are all things that my parents saw mm-hmm. growing up and living in America. So um, my story at Pratt brings brings that into it and it's very interesting um with the way my parents uh protected me um from racism and i kind of just walked into it right like it's like okay they did their job and uh guess what you still gonna have to deal with this and um so to so to come to pratt as I was, when, when I started at Pratt, I was the only black professor there. In and the entire in school? In my department. Oh, in I'm your in department. the fashion department. Gotcha. And it was 10 years before they hired another black professor. That's not to say they didn't hire other people. Mm-hmm. It was 10 years before they hired another black professor in the fashion department. Mm. And um, again, I'm... I'm smart. There's no shame in that. And I kept getting passed over. Now, I can't even say I got passed over for promotions. They didn't even give me the information about promotions. And I was very blessed to always have people looking out for me and, and having amazing mentors. And so one of my mentors at Pratt uh, was the, assistant to the chair. Her name was Setsu, a Japanese woman who um, had been in the the Japanese camps here in America. So she had Mm. a history and and she knew um, 
you know, what it was like to be singled out because of who you are and where you come from. And so she said to me one day, well, how come you're not applying for any promotions? Now, I don't come from a teaching background. I came straight out of the fashion industry. Mm -hmm. And another one of my mentors who I call my fairy godmother, um, she was teaching at Pratt at the time, uh, Barbara Livesey. And um, there was an opening and she told the head of the department that she thought I would be great for it. Um, Barbara Livesey is a white woman. Mm-hmm. So it was assumed that the person that she was recommending was also white. <laughs> and so when I called, um, they gave me the job over the phone. Wow. They were like, wow, we've heard so many amazing things about you. If you want the job, it's yours. Um, can you schedule a day to come in and just sign the paperwork? So I'm like, sure, of course, no problem. I'll be there on such and such a day. And I come in and I had on some um, denim overalls and a t-shirt. And I come in and I go into the office and the chairperson looked up at me with, you know, a little funky attitude. And she says, oh, registration is not until next week. Mm. And I, wow. I smiled graciously and I said, oh, no, 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 no. Um, I'm not a student. I said, hi. And I held up my hand and I said, I'm Adrian Jones. And mm. we've all been there. So we all know what the look looks like when mm-hmm. and they look up at you and, oh, shit, she's black. <laughs> Her face dropped. And wow. she gathered herself together. And the best thing that she could come up with was oh, you sound different over the phone. (laughs) Wow. And that was my introduction as to what it was going to be like teaching at the Pratt campus. Wow. So um, we'll just glide through because this interview is only an hour and we'll just (laughs) glide through the ugliness, but there was ugliness. But... um, not only did my parents raise me um, and let me know who I am and allowed me to be an artist and allowed me to hear my voice, um, they raised a warrior. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have a problem with fighting all these white people who thought because I was black, I didn't belong there. I was like, well, you know what? I Sign me up for the same program you have. Right. And they didn't. So I was like, okay, well, that's not a problem because I got my own pen and my own paper and I'm not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. So uh, that fight, which went on for probably about 10 years, maybe a little longer Um, because it was a fight in sections it didn't all happen at one time but um when the fight was over i won Mm. (laughs) and um that that put me as the first black woman to get a full-time tenure position at a school that is that sits in the heart of brooklyn to this day Mm. um yeah. Wow. And the fight, like you said, it was in stages and you continued to 
um, bring awareness and support um, among your many roles at Pratt is um, advisor to the Fashion Society, which is a, a student run fashion club. Was. Uh, was it no longer? Yeah. Um, but you also, in 2014, you conceived and, and co curated a landmark exhibition called Black Dress, which honored black designers and addresses the lack of diversity in the fashion industry. And this was in 2014. So, walk us through that process. Um, Again, it was one of those situations where you kind of told me that I couldn't and I was like, watch me now. (laughs) Um, uh, One of the other professors, uh, White, had given a a lecture that we had all been invited to. And um, she was talking, giving a brief history on design. And she made this comment that went straight through me. And she says, well, you know, the, the only thing that uh, Blacks have, um, that Blacks have demonstrated in, in the fashion industry or have given to the fashion industry was hip hop. Mm. And uh. my head, when my head finished spinning around, and I straightened it back on and it was probably still on backwards, but you know, I can talk to you from the back of my head. Mm. And I was like, what? And she was like, oh yes, that was the main contribution that blacks had, you know, hip hop clothing and all like that. I was like, I'll be damned. Mm. Um, so heading back to FIT, uh, my godmother was this incredible woman who had started the Soul Club at FIT, Clara Branch. And she started that um, after the assassination of Martin Luther King. And by this time, she had she had long since retired. And um, there were many people at FIT who tried to uh, pick up where she left off. And it was a huge undertaking. Um, so nobody really was able to carry it off. Uh, the way she did. And um, part of her research and part of her history, she had collected um, all these files on on Black designers. And she had all these books. And I always remembered that, that she had them. And they were just collections of newspaper articles and anything she could get her hands on pertaining to uh, Blacks in fashion. Mm-hmm. And um, before she passed, I was able to get hold of this huge amount of information. And um, that was that was what inspired me, picking up where she had left off. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, the dream isn't over yet to do a larger exhibit, but um, I still had to fight. Um, even though it was groundbreaking and we brought in higher numbers than any exhibit that's ever been held at Pratt. Um, and, and was well covered by the press as well. Well covered. Um, they didn't like that it was done by a black woman, you know? Um, so we did it. We did it very well. Um, and 
Thank you, Rochelle, for, uh, I will never forget that night. You were, you were in New York and it was the night before the opening. And, um, you know, you came over, we had, we had the exhibit at uh, Pratt Manhattan on 14th street and you came over and you said, I'm sorry, I can't be here tomorrow because you were leaving. And you said, but you got me and anything that you need. And I am, so grateful to you um, because Black Dress would not be where it is today. And I, we're still a little undercover, but we got some, we got some big things mm -hmm. um, getting ready to pop up. And, um, but without you pushing me um, to say, let's, let's keep this going. This is important. I know for a fact I would have just gone on to something else. I would have dropped it and left it there. So I am so grateful. And for those of you who don't know the relationship between Rochelle and I, Rochelle was one of my students. Mm -hmm. I was going to get there. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. Go ahead. I, I wanted to be able to say that. Right. Thank um, you. Thanks, Teach. <laughs> and I, I'm just... Um, to this day, I'm very grateful for the love and respect that I've gotten from my students over the years. I sent, Michelle, I sent you something last night. I was so tired when I finally went to bed, I could barely read it. And I thought um, somebody had sent me a post. And this is what I thought it said, because, you know, when you get tired, you can't see straight. <laughs> And I thought they were saying, oh, follow this person if you want to know about Blacks in fashion and the industry and all like that. And I was like, okay. well, who else is doing that? <laughs> and come to find out, it was a former student talking about us in Black dress. And I was yeah. like, oh, so nice, you know. Um, so it's great. And, and I've been getting all these letters of love and, you know, thank you. And it's, it's really good to know that um, what you're doing, even though it may seem very small, um, that it has helped and influenced a lot of people. Yeah. Because essentially that's, that's what we're here for. We're here, we're here to, turn back and reach back and bring somebody else forward. We're here to give the history. Um, and as black people, we're here to leave a legacy, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's what we have to do, not just for our immediate families, but for our community family, you know, mm -hmm. because there's still a lot of people out there hurting. They don't know how incredible we are. Yes. Mm -hmm. They don't know the, the foundation of who we are and you know thank god for artists mm -hmm. you know because we have we have you know people like stan the musicians who talk about who we are and where we came from you know we've got we've got the artist ava duvernay who says let's take our history and you know not everybody reads books for for whatever reason so let's put it up on the big screen so you can so you can see where we've been and what we do and, and how to celebrate, um, mm -hmm. you know, my friend Chan, he's a, he's an incredible documentarian. Um, you know, so we've got all these people doing all these great things and, 
And we all need to know about that because that's that's what's going to bring our community back together so we can now fight this current war that we're in, this attack on Black bodies. Absolutely. And that's why, I mean, one of the many reasons that we wanted to do this, but in particular, um, wanting to invite you, you know, as a former student, um, I'll never forget from the moment I walked in that first day that many, those many years ago. And the fact that, you know, I still came back, you know, I, throughout my entire schooling from kindergarten through college, I can literally count on one hand how many black um, teachers I've had. And all of them I, I remember to this day and have always been very much, um, very impactful on my life. And so when I met you, I'll never, I mean, it wasn't just fashion. And that's, I think that's the allure. That's why people gravitate towards you. Yes, yes, fashion. And, you know, just for those who do know, who don't know, um, Professor Jones teaches uh, drape and construction methods in fashion and construction, leather and fur design and construction. And so when you're in these classes, yeah, on the surface, that's what you're learning. But when you leave out of there, you're gaining knowledge, you're getting mentorship, you're getting care, you're getting um, ex- you're gaining experience, you're gaining um, support. And so it's so meaningful. And I think that's why those students gravitate towards you because you genuinely genuinely care about their well-being and want them to succeed particularly the students of color because we already know you have so many things stacked up against you and so Mm -hmm. you want to see them thrive and so thank you professor jones for all that you do and for all that you continue to do and so for us just to reach out to help out whatever you need of course we're dropping everything we got you because you had us and yeah. so I want to thank you for that. The quote I always thinking about uh, and that I always think about when I think about uh, teachers is um, like students don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. Absolutely. And so, um, you know, like the students uh, kind of reaching back out to you and, and showing support um, to you throughout your career is just a testament to what type of individual you are and how great you are at what you do. Uh, so definitely we celebrate you. And, and it, you know, it took them a while, it took them long enough, but Pratt finally recognized your innovation and actually um, awarded you the honor of being a Distinguished Teacher Award for the 2017-18 school year. So, you know, better late than never, but right. <laughs> I just want to um, acknowledge that that, um, that, that was um, received and, you know, to standing applause, you did a phenomenal job when you gave your acceptance speech. Why, thank you. And <laughs> I have to say, it's it's been an honor to have been in the lives of so many people. And you know, when I'm when I'm up there doing my thing, because like you said, Shell, it's not just the teaching. I you know, I give you news, weather, and sports. We got to put a little comedy in there, mm-hmm. and you know what's going on in the world and what's happening, and and then we get down to business. Right. And um, it has been such an honor to meet so many amazing people who are doing so so much, um, and. And to be a part of their journey, you know, um, to be even remembered that I was a part of the journey. Because, you know, we we come across a lot of people and not all of them make that mark. So for me, that's an honor. You know, I think about um, 
this book I was given years ago, the five people that you meet on the way to heaven. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I know, I know who my five are, at least I think I do. Mm-hmm. And um, it's an honor and a blessing to know that somebody might put me in their five. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Um, I want to uh, transition just a little bit um, to speak to um, your education. So upon getting, after getting your associate's degree, you went on to get your bachelor's um, in arts education from the College of New Rochelle and also your master's in art therapy. How has, um, how do you foresee because of the pandemic, because of um, the, the, the protests, the mass protests that are happening from, you know, nationwide, from East Coast to the West Coast, North and South. Globally. Globally. You mm-hmm. know, folks are finally, um, you know, I, I, for those of us who have been in the fight, who have seen it, you know, this has been a long time coming. But, you know, finally, I guess people are on board. Um, how do you foresee going back into the classroom if you're putting on your art therapy hat? Oh, um, I don't even know. Like day to day, that's all that I will allow myself to do. Um, I have practiced yoga, so I know about, um, you know, trying to stay in the present. And it's hard when there's so much coming at us at one time. So when we got the word that, um, you know, classes were going to be suspended at the time they said suspended, it was just before, um, spring break. And, um, so we were like, okay, so we're going to be gone for two weeks and then we'll come back and, you know, we'll get it all together. And that didn't happen. We, we didn't come back and not knowing when we came back. And, and my first concern was not even how am I going to teach what I do? Because I teach studio classes. I teach, you know, the, my average class is six hours. Right. Um, but it wasn't that. It was how do, how do I look after them? How do I know that they're okay? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we were essentially given that two weeks to, to figure it out. Um, I want to say within three days, I was emailing everybody in my class to find out how they were, where they were. Uh, a third of all of my students come from China. And, you know, not everybody was able to, to get a flight out. I mean, it was, it was hard. So at that point we had, we had like six, seven weeks left because we were at midterm. And I want to say out of that time, at least half of it was just um, checking in with their mental and emotional health. Yeah. You know, um, and there were days where we just, you know, it's like, okay, we're not doing that today. We're going to talk about you and how you are. And, and as a student who, you know, chose to stay locally, um, you don't always realize that sometimes people choose to go away to school, not just because this is a great school and it's going to give me what I need, but also to get away from whatever's going on at home. 
Absolutely. You know, everybody right. isn't blessed to have a great home life and come right. from a great family. Right. And, um, you know, and I'm, I'm aware of that. You know, I, I have that kind of relationship with my students that, you know, we can, we can talk about it. Um, so that's, that's been a big concern. And now the returning, we don't know what that looks like. Right. You know, so all I can do is, you know, in our last class, I said, listen, you know, this is our last class, but I'm not going anywhere. If you need me, you know, reach out. Um, I'm right here for you. And I've had, I've had students that do that, that have done that. Um, so I don't know what that looks like. A lot of people are talking about taking a, um, taking a, a, a year off. Wow. Then we have to add to it this this whole racial divide. And again, Brad is in the middle of Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's a there's a precinct, I think it's the 88th precinct, which is mm-hmm. right across the street. Yep. And, you know, protesters burst into there. You know, mm-hmm. and if you're a parent and you're concerned about your child's health and well-being, maybe New York isn't the place, you know, but... Right. This is happening everywhere. So right. it's not like, oh, well, go to school close to home. Well, there's still COVID mm-hmm. wherever your close to home is. Yep. And, and um, there's still a racial divide wherever your close to home is. Right. So, you know, we have to start dealing with this shit. We can't keep sweeping all the ugliness back into that closet because what has happened now is you know, just like any time you don't clean out your closet, you don't get rid of stuff, you just keep throwing it in there and slamming that door closed. Well, guess what, America? You put too much shit in the closet and now the door has burst open and everything is falling out right on top of you. Right. <laughs> well, we're about to close out, but I did want to... Um did want to mention for those of you that um, would like to learn more about Adrian and about Black Dress, the Black Dress Project is um, in a form of a website, um, blackdressexhibit.com, where you can uh, learn more of not only about Black fashion designers, but also those in the fashion industry. So whether it's models, uh, stylists, um, hair and makeup, beauty um, they're listed on there as well. It's a great resource. We also have uh, Black Dress TV, which is available on YouTube as well as the website where um, video interviews of prominent Black and African-American figures um, speak and talk about their stories. Uh, Adrian, what's next for you? Oh, girl, we're doing big things, big things. <laughs> Let's see. We're working on the book. Yes, indeed. Working on that book. Um I am, oh, there's a film, a documentary that I'm in, another documentary called Dark Girls, done Mm -hmm. by my friend uh, D. Chanson Berry. And that's actually due to be out on the OWN Network at the end of this month. I don't have the exact date. But when we have it, we will post it on Black Dress. Right. And this is the second installment of of Dark Girls. This is the second installment of of Dark Girls, yes. Mm Um, kind of excited about that. Uh, Black Dress, we've been working closely with the African American Museum um, and uh, again, the virus got in the way, so we were supposed to do a speaking engagement on fashion there in um, March. 
So, you know, we'll revisit all of this. You know, we're not, we're not, this just gives us more time to work on our masterpieces. Absolutely. Well, that's a wrap, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so, so much, Professor Jones, for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you. listening to artistry where art meets industry this podcast has been brought to you by substantial art and music for more information please visit www.subartmusic.com you can also follow us on social media at subartmusic we'll see you soon but talk to you sooner peace